0: We interrupt your regularly scheduled podcast to bring you listen, watch, discuss. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, I forgot to mention this in the episode, so I'm just going to tack this on after the intro. But obviously, if you haven't seen any of Christopher Nolan's 11 movies, uh, any of his filmography, I will be going into slight spoilers uh, regarding all 11 of them. So, if you haven't seen any of them and you'd like to watch them and avoid spoilers, stop this episode right now and go watch the movies. But if you don't care about spoilers uh, and you'd like to hear my thoughts, or if you're going to watch the movies later and you want to hear my thoughts on them right now, then by all means, please continue. Uh, but with that being said, let's get on to the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Listen, Watch, Discuss. As always, I'm your host, Bren Aiken. And on today's episode, I will be ranking all of Christopher Nolan's movies from my least favorite to my most favorite. Now, i if you remember last week, I said that uh, this episode was supposed to release uh, last night. And I was going to post it uh, last night. I fully intended on it, but I put it off until last night because uh, I was going to do it in the middle of the day. Uh, and I was like, oh, I'll just do it tonight and then i just ended up watching some tv and i was like you know what i've i'll put it out tomorrow i'll release it tomorrow it's fine uh or record it and release it tomorrow so uh i apologize for the day long wait uh but you know i've done that before but you know i just wanted to clarify why i didn't have the episode up yesterday so it was just me being lazy and putting it off <laughs> for for a few hours and then eventually the next day so uh but yeah so Uh, As I mentioned last week uh, In preparation and anticipation For Christopher Nolan's uh, Newest movie, or latest movie uh, Oppenheimer, releasing next Friday I decided uh, last week To uh, start binging All of his movies uh, From, you know, chronologically From like his first movie to All the way until uh, his most recent movie Which was uh, Tenet in 2020 And uh, I And I started uh, Last Wednesday and I finished uh, binging them all All 11 of them, uh, last night Or not last night, uh, yesterday afternoon It was around lunch So, yeah, I spent a week and some change A week and two days Binging all 11 movies And I gotta say, not a bad one in the bunch I really enjoyed, I really liked And loved all 11 of them Um, uh, but, you know There, it is a ranking list So some of them, there are some That are going to be at the bottom, obviously That's how ranking lists work but just know that, you know, right off the bat that I don't really dislike any of these movies. Like, I like all 11 of them. It's just, obviously, some of them I liked a lot more or more than the others further down on the list. Or, I mean, uh, up higher on the list. Or down lower on the list, sorry. uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, but, but yeah, they're all really good. And they each have their own kind of, you know, unique charm and unique... Uh, feel to them, you know? Uh, but it's been, yeah, it's been a while since I've done a ranking director's movies episode. Like, I think the last one I did where I ranked, well, I did a, I did my ranking the Batman movies episode uh, back in season four, I believe, of last year. But that wasn't, uh, but that wasn't a ranking a director's filmography. That was just all of the Batman movies. Uh, I think the last one I did where I ranked a director's Filmography, like all of his movies, was with Quentin Tarantino, and that was back in season two of the podcast. So that goes—that tells you how long ago that's been. But yeah, it. uh, So I figured, yeah, back in December, I was like, oh yeah, this would be good to do next season on the podcast because season five was uh, coming to a close, and I was thinking of some good ideas to do for season six. And I thought, okay. Uh, So around Christmas, I got an iTunes card, bought all eleven of his movies. And I didn't start watching them until last week <laughs> But I played catch up I mean, I got all of 11 of them watched And, uh, yeah, so uh, And they were all really good So, But with that being said uh, Let me go into a little bit of backstory on Christopher Nolan Before we get into the ranking list So Christopher Nolan, uh, Christopher Edward Nolan Was born on July 30th, 1970 And he was born I- He's 52 He was born in the uh i believe he was born in the united states i mean not the united states the 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 u k but he has uh dual citizenship he has the citizenship in the u k and the u s uh he attended college at the university college of london he uh has been working in the film industry since yeah nineteen ninety eight and uh or he's been that that's when he made his uh directorial debut was in nineteen ninety eight and uh he made several short films before uh, releasing his feature film debut when he, uh, you know, was at the University College of London. And, you know, since then he's gone on to make, you know, uh, after those short films he went on to make 11 feature-length movies. Uh, all of them have grossed, like, combined, uh, they've grossed over five or at least five billion dollars worldwide uh he's been nominated for 5 academy awards, 5 bafta awards, 6 golden globe awards. Uh he was uh you know, he he was uh listed in 2015 as one of the most the 100 most influential people in the world by time magazine and in 2019 he was appointed commander of the order of the british empire for his contributions to film. And uh and if you know anything about Nolan's movies, you know that some themes uh and yeah, you know, some of the themes uh, explored throughout his movies are, you know, he likes to mess with time a lot, kind of like Quentin Tarantino, but a little bit more than Quentin Tarantino in a way, uh, like the structure of his stories of of a, of some of his movies tend to be sometimes out of order, you know, and, uh, you know, the other things, other themes explored are often like existentialism, uh, you know, ethics, uh, the nature of memory and personal identity, and yeah you know just just other stuff like that and also uh there are yeah like yeah like i said unconventional uh structures in the telling of the story like you know like the like sometimes the the movies some some of his movies are often like told out of order kind of like what uh quentin tarantino likes to do a lot and uh he also uses a lot of practical special effects he not that he never uses cgi but he doesn't use it uh ad nauseum. I mean, you know, he doesn't use it. He he doesn't let that become the main focus. Like, he he only uses it when he has to, but he tends to use more practical special effects. Uh, You know, there's experimental soundscapes and, uh, yeah, you know, just just a bunch of that. But a lot of his films, he co-wrote a lot of them with his brother, Jonathan, and he runs the production company Syncopy? Syncopy? It's either Syncopy or Syncopy syncope. I'm just going to go with syncope Syncope Inc. with his wife Emma Thomas, so uh, but yeah, so he has uh, you know quite a lot of you know movies under his belt, and he's made a hell of a career for himself and um, with his history out of the out of the way, let's begin the list at number eleven at number eleven. We have Following. Now, Following is Christopher Nolan's first uh, movie, his feature film directorial debut, and it was released on April 24th, 1998. And it is, uh, basically tells the story about Bill, uh, played by Jeremy Theobald, uh, or Danny, Bill slash Danny, and he basically uh, likes to follow people. And he just follows strangers around to see what they do, because he finds what other people do interesting, you know. But he always makes sure never to follow the same person twice, so that way they won't, you know, suspect him. Like, they won't see him and say, oh, hey, this person's been following me. But, unfortunately, he makes that mistake with uh, one guy by the name of Cobb, played by Alex Hall. And Cobb is a professional amateur thief, and he is... Basically, he's drawn into the criminal underworld uh, by Cobb when, uh, you know, Cobb spots him. And, you know, he just, uh, Bill finds it fascinating and, you know, the the lifestyle that Cobb leads. So he, Cobb kind of takes him under his wing and basically, you know, just uh, teaches him how to become a professional amateur thief. (laughs) And, yeah, I really did uh, loved this movie a lot, uh, or I guess like this movie, I, I do love it, but the reason why, there's, there's a couple reasons why it's at the bottom of the list, um, but I'll start off with what I really did enjoy about the movie, uh, for, for starters, for a first film, uh, by a director, I thought this was a really good beginning to his career, I thought that, It was a very interesting, uh, choice to shoot it all in black and white, and that may have had something to do with the fact that they, that he was on a limited, that he had a limited budget for the movie, but I do like the stylistic choice to film it entirely in black and white. Uh, something that he would later go on to do partly in Memento, which is his next movie. And, um... And it, it, but the uh, it being filmed in black and white very much did fit the the style of the movie, like the genre of the movie, because the movie is a, like a noir type film, like a crime thriller, neo-noir film. And uh, so I really did like that. And I also liked the, uh, the brisk pace of it. Like the movie is only, and again, you know, this probably also hugely had to do with the fact that or this probably had a huge part to do with the fact that, you know, the budget was so small, but the movie itself is only 70 minutes long, which is very rare for a movie these days. (laughs) Back then, but especially today, it's very rare that you get a movie that's only an hour and 10 minutes. But, But yeah, this movie is short, sweet, and to the point, and, you know, I love it for that. And I love the fact that it's filmed in black and white. I wasn't expecting that. I mean, even based on the poster uh, and the thumbnail, uh, when I bought the movie on iTunes, I saw it was in black and white, but I didn't think the whole, for some reason, I didn't think the whole movie was going to be in black and white. So that was a pleasant surprise. I'm like, oh, this is neat. You don't normally, you don't see this a whole lot in movies now. I like that. It was, it, it, you know, it definitely did feel like a throwback to like old school noir type films. Um, but yeah, that being said, uh, not that it wasn't interesting and not that they didn't play around with the uh, the story structure, you know, cause they, uh, cause Nolan, you know, we see in the movie, they do flash forward to scenes that have yet to come in the movie, like, uh, scenes that take place in the future in the timeline of the movie. And then we cut back to the present and so on and so forth, you know, and, you know, it does kind of keep you guessing and keep you on your toes, but I guess to me, it just wasn't the most interesting. Uh, but it was, a, you know, and maybe that's because, you know, of the limited budget and just the smaller scale of it all. But that being said, I do appreciate the smaller scale, but I I just think that, you know, later on down the line, Nolan would go, you know, of all the ones I've seen, Nolan goes on to do even bigger and better things with uh, his movies, like, you know, grander scale storytelling. He has grander scale stories in uh, his later movies uh, in his filmography. But uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of why this one is at, at number eleven. Uh, that being said, the twist at the ending was good, the, the twist at the end was good. I didn't really see that coming where basically, uh, Cobb sets up, basically he frames uh, bill for uh, the murder of this girl that they were both uh, sleeping with, that they were both in a relationship with, and uh, and then he just kind of disappears into the crowd, like when, when uh, we see Bill talking with the police chief. Or, like, a uh, a cop that works for the city. He basically, um, uh, he basically, you know, he's like, what? No, I didn't, I didn't, ask Cobb. And then, you know, I, I didn't kill anyone, ask Cobb. And then, like, we don't know any Cobb. And then it cuts to, like, the streets of London, which I forgot to mention. That's where the movie takes place. And uh, and we see him just disappear into a crowd of people. And I was like, oh, that was a cool way to end the movie. But uh, But, yeah, so... Uh, you know, and the acting was good from everyone. I, I mean, you know, f- again, for them kind of being all relatively unknown people, uh, I thought Alex Hall did a good job as the thief, Cobb. Jeremy Theobald did a good job at, as, you know, portraying Bill as this, you know, kind of newbie to the criminal underworld. Uh, Lucy Russell, who is just referred to as the blonde, uh, she's the girl that they're both, uh, in a relationship with, <laughs> and Bill doesn't know that she's also seen Cobb. Uh, she did a good job. John Nolan played the policeman who is, uh, is, that's actually his, um, nephew. Uh, that's actually, yeah, that's actually Christopher Nolan's nephew, which I thought was interesting. Um, yeah, or no, 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 he's his, uh, uncle. Sorry, my bad. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, uh, John Nolan, Jonathan Nolan is, uh, yeah, Jonathan Nolan is Christopher Nolan's brother. Yeah, my bad I got that mixed up um <laughs> so yeah but yeah the acting from everyone was good good twist at the end but yeah that, that's pretty much why I'd put this at number 11 just because of the um, just because I feel like he uh, you know the limited budget and I feel like you know it, it you know Nolan would go on to tell tell even bigger better stories but yeah um, but yeah with uh, number 11 out of the way let's move on to number 10 At number 10, we have Insomnia. Insomnia is a psychological thriller film, and it was released on May 24th, 2002. And the film is about a, uh, two L.A. homicide detectives played by Al Pacino, who plays Will Dormer, and Martin Donovan, who plays his friend, uh, Hap Eckhart. And they basically travel from L.A. to Night Mute, Alaska to investigate the murder of a 17-year-old girl. Uh, however, uh, the girl's killer witnesses uh, Al Pacino's character, uh, Dormer, accidentally shooting uh, his partner. And, you know, he when Dormer finds out that the killer knows that he shot his partner, they, you know, well, begrudgingly for Dormer's character, they have to create a plan to uh, for both of them to mutually avoid prosecution. Uh, because, you know, he's like because Dormer's like oh well th- this guy's got some heavy you know blackmail on me i i kind of have to work with him even though i don't want to cuz he's a filthy murderer he murdered this girl in cold blood um and you know and and that's the the, the basic plot but yeah the movie uh it was also i believe it was a uh, also an independently no 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 this is uh my bad this is um Christopher Nolan's first uh film that was not independently you know, like funded by him. This is uh, he had a studio backing him on this one, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that studio was um, or the production company, yeah, or it was yeah it was distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures and Summit Entertainment internationally, but for France and Germany and North America, it was distributed by Warner Brothers. So yeah, his first two movies were kind of independently distributed and funded, uh, but with Insomnia, this was his first studio-backed uh, movie and uh it did pretty well it grossed uh 113 million against a 46 million dollar budget and uh and yeah whereas following only grossed like 48,000 against a budget of like 6,000 pounds i believe because it was made in in london you know and it was made in the uk um yeah this one did pretty well and so did memento but we'll get to that movie later on down the list uh but yeah so I like this one a little better than following, obviously, because it's one spot higher. But, uh, yeah, just the, I really loved the the tense cat and mouse game that uh, Al Pacino's character, Dormer, and Robin Williams' character uh, played throughout the movie. Because, uh, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but yeah, Robin Williams plays the murderer, uh, Walter Finch. And he does a really good job. Like this is one of his best roles, I think, because it's and and Christopher Nolan even said this. Uh he decided to cast Robin Williams because, you know, he Robin Williams is known for his uh comedic roles, uh, especially in his earlier work. So like he thought it would be very interesting for Williams to play this uh you know, this murderous, uh villainous asshole, you know, kind of creepy, yeah, creepy murderer. And yeah, the reason why he did that was because he thought, you know, audiences going to see the movie would walk away from the movie feeling like they've seen a new Robin Williams. Like, you know, basically seeing him do something they never would have thought, you know, that he would or could do. And I think he pulls that off flawlessly. Like he he does a great job at playing like this cold, sadistic, you know, almost unfeeling like robotic in a way and how he kind of behaves. I mean, he does have emotions, but like just how callous and cold he is at the fact that he killed this girl and the way he tries to justify it and explain it. He's like, well, I didn't kill her on, on purpose. Like that wasn't my intention at first. It's like, Jesus, this guy really is screwed up. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he, he does a great job. And, and the back and forth that, that his character, that, uh, that Walter, and Al Pacino's character, Dormer, uh, has, is fantastic. Uh, and even though Martin Donovan isn't in the movie for, like, he's only in it for, like, I believe half an hour, if that, maybe 20-something minutes, but, uh, he, he plays his friend and, uh, partner detective, you know, uh, Hap Eckhart, uh, and I think the two of them have a good buddy dynamic, too, and you do feel bad for Dormer when he realizes, oh, shit, I shot my partner, because they're, they're chasing after Walter, who, you know, we don't know, we don't see him yet, but they're chasing after him, and it's foggy, and they're kind of in the woods, and he shoots what he thinks is the killer, uh, Walter, uh who. but at the time, they don't know his name. They just know he, they're like, oh, we found the murderer, and then he finds out, you know, he shoots him, walks up, he's like, oh, shit, I shot Eckhart, and then he just has to watch him bleed out, and he keeps that from everyone uh until, like, towards the end of the movie, uh when Hillary Swank's character, Ellie Burr, finds out. And and also she does a really great job too. She plays the, uh, she's a a, a cop at, who works at the police station in uh, Nightmute in Alaska, in the in the town of Nightmute, and uh, she basically is assigned to help them with their ca- with the case because you know she's a local, she knows the town better than they do. But but since it's a homicide, they're like, yeah, well we kind of need some some guys from out of state. So the three of them team up, and then eventually it's just the two of them, uh, trying to track down uh, Walter and, um, uh, put an end to this, uh, to this crime or like to, you know, this heinousness of, of this murderous asshole. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, the, the cast, everyone does a great job. Uh, the plot was really great. Like I loved, yeah, again, I love the cat and mouse game, you know, just between, uh, Al Pacino and Robin Williams, between Dormer and Walter. And I love too that, for, cause for the longest time when you're watching the movie, you don't, um, uh, you don't see Robin, you hear him. And at first you're like, is that Robin Williams? Cause it took me a second to realize that when he first talked, uh, called dormer on the phone, I'm like, is that Robin Williams? Cause he hasn't shown up yet. And then I was listening to it again. I'm like, yeah, that's his voice. And he doesn't show up, I think until like an hour in or 45 minutes in. So, you know, there's just this like sense of like, you know, it kind of just keeps you on the edge of your seat. Cause you're like, there's just this tension there where you're like waiting for the killer to strike or you're waiting for him to pop up, you know, cause he hasn't yet. It's like, where is he? What's he, what's his next move? You know, it kind of, you're kind of like almost put in Dormer and, uh, and Ellie's shoes because you're, you're also trying to figure out, okay, well, where's this guy? What's his next move? You know, what's he going to do next? And, um, and yeah. And, and you, just seeing Al Pacino just seeing Dormer like become even more and more unhinged. And more and more of an insomniac, which is you know where the title of the film comes in, uh, was crazy. You know, uh, he did a great job of that. And oh, and also it's a, a remake of the nineteen ninety seven Norwegian film of the same name. I forgot to mention that earlier, but, but you know, and I haven't seen the original, but I mean, this is a really good, uh, film in, on its own, and I'm assuming it's, uh, you know, holds up to the remake pretty well. I'm sure it does the remake. I mean, I'm sure it does the original justice, but. Uh, and you know, and the way it ends is is really great too. Uh, I won't spoil what the ending is, uh just in case you want to see it but uh but yeah it's a it's a pretty shocking ending. I was like, oh, shit, I did not see that coming uh but yeah, so and now let's move on to number nine coming in at number nine, we have Dunkirk, and Dunkirk was released on uh July. 21st, 2017, and it, uh, did pretty well at the box office. Uh, its budget was between 82 and and $150 million, and it grossed $527 million at the box office. And, uh, basically this movie is a war film. It's a period piece. It's a historical war film, and it is basically, it depicts the, uh, evacuation of Dunkirk during World War II from basically from three different perspectives it's from the perspectives of the people on land from the people in the ocean and from the the uh, pilots in the air and I thought uh, the way they did that was pretty cool how they kept switching between the three perspectives or like how they kept switching between the three different groups of characters uh that were you know on land and on sea and in the air and I liked how they all kind of converged at the end you know in one way or another like some characters who were, you know, who were in the air, you know, uh, their planes crashed and they ended up in the ocean with some of the, on some of the boats that were, you know, uh, helping and, uh, and then, you know, uh, you had some people on land who made their way into the ocean, you know, so, so it was cool how, you know, uh, the further along we got into the film, like towards the end, the closer we got to the end, the more the three, uh, groups of, um, soldiers, uh, converged, you know, like the three groups became one in a way. And, uh, and I really did, I liked this movie. Um, and I actually did appreciate that it was a little bit shorter than some of, uh, Nolan's previous movies on, uh, in his filmography list, uh, cause it's only an hour and 46 minutes. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Because, uh, the last few in his list were like two hours, 20 minutes, two and a half hours, two hours, 40 minutes, you know, So it was nice to get a little bit of a shorter film. Uh, And I did like this movie, but I I think that the reason why I have it at number nine is just because, again, like with Following, uh, there were some movies I liked a little bit more uh, further down the list. But I really did enjoy, you know, the perspectives that we got of the three groups of soldiers. I thought that was cool. Uh, The performances from everyone, the acting was really good. Uh, You know, you've got... uh, Uh, Harry Styles did a good job as, uh, Alex, uh, Anurin Barn, Anurin Barn, Barnard, Barnard. I, I hope I'm not butchering his name. Uh, he played Gibson, who was a French soldier who, uh, you know, is kind of mute or, you know, he barely speaks. Uh, but he did a good job. Uh, Barry Keoghan plays, uh, George. Uh, he's a friend of this father and son, uh, fishing duo, like, you know, and then they kind of like, uh, helping... Um, you know, basically, um, you know, heading out to basically like retrieve as many soldiers as they can from the, from the ocean and like hand out life jackets and all that. And, uh, they, they end up crossing the English channel and they rescue a shell-shocked soldier from one of the wrecked ships who turns out to be Killian Murphy, who, you know, the further we go on down the list, the more we'll see him show up. Uh, but you know, for the little role he has, he did a great job too uh, Tom Hardy, again, someone we'll see a lot going on down the list, but he plays, uh, Farrier, uh, one of the pilots who, you know, spends most of his time up in the air, but, uh, he did a pretty good, pretty good job. Uh, Fionn, Fion Whitehead plays Tommy, uh, one of the, well, he's the, yeah, he's the lead role. He's, uh, one of the soldiers, one of the, uh, British soldiers. Yeah. And yeah, everyone just does a really good job. It's a good war movie. Uh, I could see why some people think it's the best. I think it it deserves that spot. I haven't seen too many war movies, so I don't know if I could say personally that it's the best. But I did enjoy it. Um, I did like how you know because it focused only on the the Dunkirk evacuation. I liked that it it still was a grand story, but it was it, it was still it was a smaller scale story of this bigger war because you know World War II was huge. So it was like a smaller scale uh, story, but it still felt grand because, you know, you really are kind of thrown into this war along with these characters, uh, and you get to see the three, like I said, the three different perspectives of the land, sea, and air, and, uh, and yeah, so, like, to them, like, to us, you know, like, looking at overall the World War II, like, as a whole, Dunkirk, not saying that it wasn't significant or big, but it was a little smaller in comparison to, like, the whole war, but, you know, it was a battle, but, like, the the Dunkirk evacuation, to the people in it, to them, that that was, like, their war, because of just how, you know, traumatic it was, and just how, you know, again, just, just the pressure they went under, and, like, some of them nearly dying, some, a lot of them dying, and, you know, watching their friends die, and almost dying, you know, just, you know, and, and the war wasn't over quite yet, but it was just, you know, to them, that, that was kind of their war because it was so intense. But, uh, but yeah, good movie. Just again, like with following, uh, better movies to come on down the line. So, uh, and now let's move on to number eight. At number eight, we have Memento. Now this was Christopher Nolan's, uh, second movie right after following and it was released on uh well in venice it was released in on september 5th 2000 it was released on march 16th 2001 in the united states but i'm yeah i'm just going to go and go with the venice release date and say september 5th 2000 uh it was pretty close to the U- us release date so but yeah it's technically a 2000 uh yeah it says a 2000 american so yeah it's it's came out in the year 2000 we'll just say that but it's uh it's also like with following it's a neo noir thriller film. And, uh, and I, I, I think this one again, you know, is even better, you know, it goes to show his growth as a director, because I think that this one is even better than his previous movie. Uh, and obviously, you know, this isn't going, this list isn't going to be ranked from his first movie to his last movie. Cause obviously Dunkirk comes away later in his filmography. And I put that at number nine, you know, but, uh, but I do think that, you know, for a sophomore effort, like this is, uh, even better than his, you know, the predecessor, his previous movie. But, uh, this is based on a short story, Memento Mori by his brother, Jonathan Nolan. And, you know, which was later published in 2001 and basically the, and it did pretty well. Like it's, it only had a five, between a five and nine million dollar budget and it grossed 40 million at the box office. So, you know, again, goes to show when you have a smaller budget, you're more likely to gross, you know, way over your budget back, you know, if you don't, you know, have an overinflated, but, you know, if you don't have a way too big budget, you're more than likely going to gross your money back and then some. But, uh, the, the film is basically about a man named Leonard Shelby who suffers from an antero, antero antero grade amnesia, which basically means he can't create new memories after whatever, after the event that caused his amnesia. Uh, so, you know, he has short-term memory loss and he can't form new memories. And basically uh the reason why is because uh his wife was uh murdered and raped. And when he was trying to save his wife from being murdered and raped, uh his atta- uh her murderer knocked him unconscious and he didn't get a good look at the guy. But ever since he got knocked on the head, he can't remember anything, he can't retain anything new after that. So the only way he can like remember anything new is by either tattooing important information on his body or taking Polaroid pictures of everything that, you know, he deems important enough and writing uh, descriptions uh, and little footnotes on the bottoms of and backs of the Polaroid pictures, which I'm like, oh, that's smart. And and the reason, and, you know, you might be thinking, well, how can he remember to look at the photos and the tattoos? It's like, well, repetition, because they, me- they make a point to, you know, uh, mention that, oh, yeah, well, uh, you know, if he, if it's, he can remember through repetition to look at the photos, he just can't remember what's on the photos or the tattoos, but he'll remember, you know, through repeatedly doing it, th- that action that, you know, he'll look at them and then, and then when he looks at them, he'll be like, oh, that's what happened. Okay. Or that's, that's who I'm looking for. That's what, you know, that's what this thing is. So, uh, so yeah, it's just, uh, I thought, oh, that's a really cool concept. And this is like the first of his movies where it real he really screws around with the timeline. And I was kind of confused, not going to lie, at the beginning because basically the way the story is told is there's two different timelines or there's two different sequences uh, interspersed with each other. So uh, like with Following, there's a series of black and white scenes that are shown chronologically and it's basically uh, Guy Pierce's character, uh, Leonard Shelby, talking with, uh, with, uh, with an unknown person over the phone in a hotel room and then every, all the scenes that are in color are told in reverse order. So we start, you know, uh, again, not counting the black and white scenes, everything that's in color, we start off at the, the beginning of the movie is the end of the movie. And the end of the movie is the beginning of the movie. And it took me like maybe 20 minutes in to realize, oh, we're going again with, except with everything that's in black and white. I'm like, oh, we're going in reverse order. Okay. Oh shit. Okay. This is interesting. And it, it kind of gave me a Quentin Tarantino vibe. Cause I'm like, I don't think he, I don't think Tarantino's ever told a story in almost exact reverse. Like, you know, scenes going in reverse before, I mean, not scenes itself, but like showing a scene and then showing the scene before that scene, you know, but, uh, like, I don't think he's done it to that level. So I'm like, but he's done something similar to that, you know, where he tells his stories out of order. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Uh, but yeah, just the concept is cool. Uh, it really kind of fucks with your head. (laughs) pardon my French, but yeah, it really does kind of mess with your head, uh, when you're first watching it. And I like that it's told in reverse order because it kind of puts you in Leonard's shoes because you're trying to think like, okay, who is the guy that murdered and raped his wife? Is he getting any closer to figuring it out? Are we getting any closer to figuring it out? You know? And, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, it's basically kind of trying to put, put you in his shoes and in, in, in Leonard's head, you know? And, uh, and basically yeah the two sequences of events meet you know kind of join together at the end of the film and you know you kind of get the bigger picture but at the at the beginning of the movie we start off with Leonard killing his friend Teddy uh played by Joe Pantoliano uh and it's like oh shit well I guess that's the guy who killed him he's dead maybe uh it's like and it's funny cuz I saw him in the credits and I'm like well wait he's dead what are we why is he in the main credits you know and then when I realized that the story was being told in reverse order, you know, backwards, I'm like, oh, okay, so that's how he's going to, you know, show up, be a main character. But the acting from everyone's great. The three main uh, characters, Guy Pierce, does great as Leonard Shelby. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss, who, you know, I it took me a minute to realize that that was Trinity from the Matrix trilogy. She did great as, uh, as, uh, Michelle, who's kind of like this, uh, uh, bar, I mean, not Michelle, uh, Natalie, who's this kind of like, uh, bartender that Leonard crosses paths with, paths, paths with, and she helps him kind of solve the case. She later reveals that she's kind of an asshole, uh, in a, a great scene, by the way, but yeah, she's a bitch <laughs> in one scene uh, with she gets into an argument with, with Leonard. Uh, I won't go into what happens, but when you see it, you're like, damn lady, damn, you know, like what the hell is your problem? But uh, she did great. And Joe Pantaleano, who some of you may know as Ralph from The Sopranos, uh, he did great. And he was also uh, in the Matrix trilogy with, uh, well, he was in the first one. He played Cypher, the one, the asshole who betrays the team in the first one, who, you know, Trinity's like, damn it, Cypher, you know, like uh, he ends up killing like half the team. And uh, it's funny because he always seems to play slimy, snarky assholes, like everything I've seen this actor in, he's like Ralph and the Sopranos or Ralphie and the Sopranos, you know, uh, he was, um, and he was an asshole. Yeah. Uh, Cypher in the, uh, uh, in the, Ma- in the first Matrix movie. And then of course, um, uh, yeah. And then of course, uh, in this one, yeah, he's also an asshole because, you know, he's kind of taking advantage of Leonard's condition and trying to convince him that he wasn't the person who, uh, murdered and raped his wife, even though, Le- Leonard has written on a poster oh don't trust this guy but uh and he's technically not the guy who did it and I won't reveal who did it but it took me a few minutes after watching the movie to sort of piece together what just happened I'm like I kind of I was following along, alone but there was a lot of information that happened that was revealed towards the end of the movie where I'm like oh wait so it's not him but he still ends up killing him anyway damn okay um and it has something to do with the Leonard's condition, but I won't, uh, I won't reveal, uh, what happens, uh, I'll just say that it was a good twist too, and the fact that the movie ends where it began, or the fact that it ends at the beginning, I was like, oh shit, okay, so like, if you're watching backwards, it's telling in order, but yeah, so, uh, great movie, um, and yeah, I just, uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely watch it, it's, it's a, a great movie of his, and it's also, yeah, the, uh, like with Following, it's also independently kind of, you know, uh, distributed, um, which I thought was cool. But, uh, but yeah, uh, now let's move on to number seven. At number seven, we have Tenet. Now, Tenant was released uh, in the heart of the pandemic on September 3rd, 2020. And it's, uh, it's a science fiction action thriller film. Uh, and despite it having the highest budget of any of Christopher Nolan's movies at $205 million, uh, you know, and despite, you know, it being a Christopher Nolan movie, it was released during, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, so it didn't gross as much as it could have had it been released in, like, 2021. But it grossed uh, $365.3 million at the box office. Uh, so, you know, it was considered a box office disappointment, but... Because there weren't that many movies released in 2020, it was technically the h- fifth highest-grossing film of that year. So, uh, but the film did receive positive reviews from critics. Uh, you know, although it received criticism for the complexity of the plot and maybe a little, and some of the sound mixing. Uh, but you know, I mean, I, uh, audiences still seem to enjoy it. Some people, uh, especially some people who aren't particularly big fans of Christopher Nolan's work. Uh, tend to see this movie as like one of his more pretentious films. Um but, you know, I mean, opinions, everyone's got their own opinion. Uh so, you know, it it just depends. Uh it, it it is a very complex, dense plot though. Uh so I could see how some people might see it as pretentious. Uh but yeah, so the film basically follows a former CIA agent, uh, known only as the protagonist. That's his name we we don't Get another name from him he's just known only as the protagonist and he's played by john david washington denzel washington's son and uh he teams up with robert pattinson who is basically his uh his handler and uh and he teams up with and he also teams up with elizabeth debicki uh who oh and robert pattinson's character is uh called is named neil i forgot to mention that uh but yeah he teams up with neil who's his handler And Elizabeth Debicki's character, uh, Catherine, who is uh, uh, the wife of Andrei Sador, who's a uh, British-domiciled Russian oligarch. And he is basically communicating with the future and trying to cause World War III. Because uh, the people of the future, some people in the future, want to destroy the past for reasons unknown. You know, we find out why later. And uh Sador is uh helping them carry their plan through. And we don't know why he is until, you know, later in the movie too. So Cat, uh the protagonist, Neil and Kat basically, you know, team up to prevent him from destroying the future, and they end up kind of time traveling. They don't call it time traveling, but it pretty much is time traveling. It's just an interesting way of time traveling. Like it's basically inversion where they like yeah, basically they're going through time in reverse. Like, there's these, uh, machines, uh, called turnstiles that Sador uses to go backwards in time, uh, and, or forwards in time, and, but anytime he goes backwards in time, he's going forward, but everything and everyone around him is going in reverse, uh, which looks really cool, like, I, I don't know how they, I mean, I could see why this is his highest budgeted, like, the, the movie of his, with the highest budget, I could see why this movie has his highest budget, of all of his movies, because it just seems like it probably took the longest to, and most amount of money to make, you know, just filming everything backwards, and then, like, the practical effects, and maybe some of the CGI mixed in, and, uh, but, you know, it it looks really cool, it's a very interesting, again, dense, complex plot for a sci-fi movie, uh, but, you know, really cool, and even though I'm still slightly confused on some aspects of it, you know, again, me being confused on it does kind of make me want to go and watch it, it does kind of make me want to continue watching the movie again, like watch it uh, more times down the road. Uh, I liked the acting from everyone. I thought John David Washington did a pretty good job as the protagonist. Uh, Robert Pence and Robert Penson did a good job as Neil. Uh, I liked his kind of charm and, and humor, you know, kind of his, you know, kind of uh dry humor back and forth with, uh, with pro. I'm just going to call him pro for short, uh, the protagonist. And uh, I liked Cat Catherine. I thought she was really cool. Uh, Elizabeth Deb- Debicki did a good job, and she is beautiful, I just want to say that right off the bat, <laughs> she's just this beautiful, tall, gorgeous goddess, British goddess, uh, <laughs> but she she actually, and yeah, she did a great job, she also played, uh, you know, if she looks familiar, uh, she played the, the leader of the Sovereign, uh, the, I think it was the High Priestess, if I'm not mistaken, uh... Let me see. I think that was her Aisha. Yeah, she pl- I think her title was the high priestess priestess, but she played Aisha. She was the leader of the sovereign in Guardians 2 and Guardians 3. And uh but you know, it, you might not be have been able to tell it was her because she was covered in gold paint, you know, like <laughs> so it's like, oh yeah, it's her. But yeah, um uh Michael Kane he and we'll see further on down the list. He sh- he's a recurring character in Christopher Nolan's movies. I mean, he doesn't play the same character, but he's a recurring cast member, you know, that, uh, a recurring actor that Nolan loves to, to put in his movies. But uh, he had, like, one scene, but he played it pretty well. And Kenneth Branagh plays a huge piece of shit, a pretty good villain, but yeah, a huge piece of shit in Andre Sador. Like, the whole time I just wanted him to die because of how terrible he was treating Catherine. I'm like, man, your wife is beautiful and smart and and, you know, she's got a, and she's she's loving and nurturing, but she also has a don't give a shit attitude, like, you know, I'm not going to take this shit from you, like, you know, she can, she stands up for herself, you know, she's, she can be bold and abrasive, and, you know, and she seems nice, and you're just treating her like you're, you're an asshole, you know, like, why are you treating her like shit, you know, and I couldn't wait for him to die, and I'll just go ahead and say he dies, I won't say how, but Catherine kills him, and it's, pretty satisfying i was like yes like when i when he died i was like hell yeah you know like i was just like when i first saw that i was like <clears throat> yeah i was, just, I grunted i was like yeah you know like that uh but very satisfying death from him uh and the the twist as to who founded the organization that worked for Tenet, you know who pro neil and catherine end up kind of working for and helping you know stop the attack from the future uh i thought that was pretty cool i'm like oh okay i didn't, and, the twist is to, uh, pro and Neil's friendship. Like when they met, I was like, oh, I didn't see that coming either. That was cool. Uh, so yeah, even though it's slightly confusing at times and it's very dense and complex, uh, you know, the action was really great and I still like the concept and I thought backwards time, you know, t- traveling through time while everything in t- in time around you in the past is moving backwards. Like it's, you know, I thought, oh, that's cool. Cause like to them, you're moving backwards because they 're moving forwards, but you know the way you're perceiving it they're moving backwards because you're moving forwards through the past you know backwards time it's the I probably it probably made no sense the way I explained it, but <laughs> you know but it it was really cool to see that and uh and there are a lot of great action set pieces and uh yeah, so great movie and uh yeah, and we're now at the halfway point uh, pretty much uh, and now let's move on to number six. At number six, we have The Prestige. The Prestige was released on October 20th, 2006, and it grossed $109.7 million against its $40 million budget, so it did really well. Uh, And it's a psychological thriller film. It's uh, based on the 1995 novel by Christopher Priest, and Christopher Nolan's brother, Jonathan, helped uh, Nolan co-write the movie. And basically, it's another period piece similar to Dunkirk, and it's set in Victorian London or Victorian era London, which was the 19th century. And it basically stars Hugh Jackman as Robert Angier and Christian Bale as Alfred Borden. And they are these two uh, stage magicians who are like bitter rivals. And and they basically throughout the whole movie, it depicts their uh, multi-year obsession with their feud, you know, and they're feuding over this perfect teleportation trick called like the teleporting man. And um, and I yeah I really loved this movie. Uh, I thought it was very interesting. I, I lo- again I loved the fact that it was a period piece, like taking place in nineteenth century London. I thought, oh, that's a cool setting, you know. Like it's like because a lot of a lot of Nolan's movies take place in modern times, you know, modern days. So I thought this was like the first of his movies to take place in, uh, you know, in like the past. I mean, I'm pretty sure Following was supposed to take place in modern day London, but it was just filmed in black and white, unless I'm mistaken. And it was supposed to sit, but I, I feel like it being in black and white was supposed to be more of an homage to the noir, you know, uh, genre of, of, of films than it actually it being set in like the thirties and forties. Cause it seemed like it was set in like sort of modern times. Uh, but, but yeah, so it, it was kind of like the first of his movies to be set in, uh, you know, in like the very, very far past. And I really liked the the setting of the Victorian era London. Uh, The acting from everyone was great. I loved uh, Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. I loved how far they were willing to take their feud because the feud, it was so petty and so stupid, but I loved how they just kept one up, trying to one up each other. And they kept like, you know, it, it's just, just when you think that they were, one of them would call it quits or they'd both like agreed as like, they'd both come to realize, okay, this, this feud is getting out of hand. Let's, you know, it's a tie. Let's call it a tie. We're done. No, they, they keep one upping each other. And it, you know, at first it's like, oh yeah, just, they're just, uh, you know, it goes from them both messing with the others, uh, performances, uh, to, uh, to mutilating each other, to burying one of their, uh, friends and like bodyguards alive. And it's like, Jesus Christ, you guys are going, <laughs> you guys are, uh, becoming more and more obsessed with not only finding out this trick, but trying to one-up the other, you know, and it's like, it's, I feel like it's going to be the death of you both eventually, and in a way it kind of is, Uh, I won't exactly say what, you know, how quite yet, but... I will. I may get into the twist uh, in a minute, but uh, but the acting from both of them was great. Uh, Scarlett Johansson did. She did a great job, and she put on a pretty good British accent, I thought. But she basically plays Olivia. She's uh, starts off as Angier's assistant, but then she, uh, you know, in an attempt to one up Borden, Angier sends Olivia to be Borden's assistant, and she kind of ends up play- uh, playing both sides of the fence. And uh, I thought, you know, the the love. The kind of triangle, the love triangle that went on between the three of them was great, more more so with Olivia and Borden, like because eventually she does fall in love with Borden, and uh, and it was great. And so they did a great job. Michael Caine had a bigger role in this movie, and I think this was his first. Yeah, this was his first movie. This was his first uh, Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, or, you know, first time being in one of his movies. He did a good job as um in uh, as John Cutter. He's the stage engineer who works for both of the magicians, uh, and, oh, and two people I didn't expect to be in the, this movie were, uh, David Bowie <laughs> plays Nikola Tesla, the, you know, who was the inventor of, um, uh, you know, the founder of electricity and all that, even though, you know, people say, oh yeah, well, it was Edison, but technically Tesla, uh, Tesla was first, you know, but, uh, but, you know, they kind of both copied each other, or Edison kind of copied Tesla, but, but I, when I, he popped up, I'm like, is that David Bowie? And, uh, but he did a great job. Um, I did not expect him to pop up in the movie at all. Same with Andy Circus. He plays Tesla's assistant, Mr. Alley, who's this kind of like New Jersey, Boston, New York type, uh, you know, bodyguard assistant in a way. And, uh, he did a good job too. Um, uh, it's always nice to see him pop up and stuff. Cause you know, he's played Gollum, Caesar, uh, uh, claw, Ulysses claw and Age of Ultron and Black Panther, you know, he's, is just a great actor. Uh, but the acting was great. The twist was great at the end too, where, uh, it kind of ended as a result. It ended up in the death of both Angier and Borden, where, uh, Borden reveals that, oh, his, uh, his bodyguard Fallon was actually his twin brother. And this whole time that his teleportation trick involved his brother. And so his brother, but Angier basically set, uh, Borden up for his murder And turns out he didn't actually murder him. He murdered his clone. Because the machine that Tesla made for Angier, uh, when it teleports you, it makes another clone. It makes a clone of yourself. And the new clone uh, kept killing the previous clone. So, like, you know, that's how Angier kept, you know, like, each time he used the machine, he made a new version of himself, and the new version killed the old version. And basically, yeah, uh, Borden kills... You know, he basically, you know, his brother took the fall for him and he was murdered and he shows up and kills Angier, uh, in this warehouse where he had all these tubes, uh, or the, all these boxes filled with uh, water that involved that, you know, was involved in the teleportation trick. And yeah, we just see, we, we end with Michael Caine narrating, you know, talking about the, the meaning of prestige of the word. And it ends with Angier bleeding out dying in this uh this burning warehouse that Borden set on fire and we just pan over and we see a bunch of tubes a bunch of boxes with uh dead clones of Angier floating in them and we cut to one and then it just it just cuts to black and I was like oh shit that was and it took me a second too because again the ending is such a twist I'm like oh shit you know when we found out Borden's Fallon was his twin brother but then I was also like oh shit, wait, so the machine Tesla made for Angier was cloning him all alone and the clones kept killing each other every time a new one was made. I was like, you know, it's a mind screw right there. But yeah, I, I love this movie. That twist was great. The acting was great. And I loved the, you know, the setting. I, I thought Victorian era London was great. Uh, it was a great setting for, for this movie. But, uh, but yeah, so great movie. And uh, now we're over halfway done with the list. Uh, so, with number six out of the way, let's move on to number five. At number five, we have Batman Begins. Now, I've talked about, uh, the, all three of the movies in the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, once before, when I ranked all of the Batman movies, uh, you know, back in season four, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, but, um, but yeah, so you know i i'll probably just kind of be repeating some of the points same points i made uh when i talked about those these three movies in that episode but you know i will start off by saying that uh even though this is my least favorite of the three you know uh, dark knight movies uh or of of his dark knight trilogy i it still is a good origin story it it is still a good first movie to a trilogy and you know it was the beginning to one of the greatest trilogies, not not just one of the greatest superhero trilog- trilogies, but one of the greatest trilogies of all time, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinions too. But uh, but yeah, this basically tells, you know, Batman's origin story, how Bruce Wayne became Batman, and he tells his origin story. You know, we see the death of his parents, which we pretty much see in all of <laughs> Batman's, in all the Batman movies, but you know, we see his parents getting shot when they leave the theater uh we see him uh basically train to uh, uh with the league of shadows he trains with uh Razal Al Ghul and uh Ducard played by Liam Neeson and he basically has to uh you know we see him become a skilled fighter and then eventually uh you know uh become Batman like he he makes the costume and then we see him get the batmobile uh and He basically has to stop Raz al Ghul and the Scarecrow from, uh, poisoning the city's water supply because they basically, Scarecrow uses, like, these, uh, hallucinogens, 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 yeah, he uses these hallucinogens, uh, and sprays them to people's faces to, like, disorient them and scare them and confuse them, make them see scary shit that's not there, you know, um instill fear in them. And basically, uh, he merged that with the water, uh, in the Gotham water supply and Ra's al Ghul and the League of Shadows, you know, uh, uh, they teamed up, he teamed up with them to basically, you know, spread the, uh, like cause the water to become airborne, like turn it into mist and vapor, you know, and, uh, spread it throughout the entirety of the city and basically plunge Gotham city into chaos. And, Basically, you know, their plan, or at least Ra's al Ghul's plan was to uh, bring the city back to, like, destroy it and, uh, you know, have it rebuild itself from the ground up, you know. And, um, you know, and, you know, it's like, hey, let's start over because the city is beyond saving. And Bruce, you know, keeps trying to tell him, he's like, no, it's not beyond saving. We can still, I'm trying to help these people and I am helping these people. But, uh, But, yeah, so... Uh, the movie the movie was really good. It uh, it did pretty well at the box office too. It had a hundred and fifty million dollar budget and it grossed three hundred seventy three point seven million at the box office. So it did really well. Uh, you know, I I said this in again when I talked about this movie in the Batman movies uh episode, but uh, Christian Bale does a great Bruce Wayne and Batman. Michael Caine plays a fantastic Alfred. Liam Neeson uh, the twist with him being Ra's al Ghul. I was like, oh shit, I didn't see that coming. But he he plays a great villain. Same with, uh, Killian Murphy. Again, here's where Killian Murphy pops back up. Uh, but he plays Scarecrow. He does a great job as Dr. Crane slash Scarecrow. Um, Morgan Freeman as, uh, Lucius Fox, who's basically like his, uh, his tech guy. He's, uh, he's, uh, Bruce's tech guy who helps him, uh, with, uh, with all the, like, you know, the Batmobile and his gadgets and his suit and all that kind of helps him, uh, with, um, with that. And he yeah he basically conducts the studies in biochemistry and mechanical engineering. He supplies them with all his gear. So yeah, he's his tech guy, and he's a member Wayne Enterprises employee. And basically, at and at the end of the movie, he's promoted to CEO when Bruce takes control of the company back. But uh, but yeah, I loved the fact you know I loved the the villains were great. Yeah, the acting was great from everyone, and I loved that they went it more in depth with his origin story. Like I love that because up until then, uh, none of the other Batman movies had really. Gone into his origin story, except for when he was a kid. Like you know, the in the past they showed, you know, his de- his uh, parents Thomas and Martha Wayne's deaths, and then they cut to him already a couple years, a few good, wa- uh, a a good amount of time being Batman. Like he, you know, they cut to him years after he's already been Batman for a while, and it's like, well, I would have liked to have seen the middle part of that, you know, but we do, but with here we do actually get to see him fight and train to become the skilled superhero of Batman, you know, he, to become the skilled superhero that is Batman, you know, like we, we actually do get to see him train and, and, uh, become this masked, badass vigilante superhero, you know? And, uh, oh, and Gary Oldman was a great commissioner Gordon, or, well, he wasn't commissioner yet, but he played a great Gordon in, uh, in this movie, James Gordon, and Katie Holmes plays Rachel, uh, Bruce's childhood friend, and I liked her, she was pretty good, um, so yeah, it was a great start to a great trilogy of superhero movies, and they only got better from there, um, so yeah, I guess that's pretty much all I have to say about this one, um, but yeah, with that being said, let's move on to number four. At number four, we have Inception, Inception is a science fiction action film, and it was released on, uh, it was released on July 16th, 2010. It, uh, it did really well at the box office. Its budget was $160 million, and it grossed $836.8 million at the box office. Uh, of course, not Nolan's best, uh, highest grossing movie. Uh, that comes later on in the list, but still, this, you know, killed it at the box office. And, Uh, and this was, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. Uh, and i had heard good things about it. Like I've heard, you know, I heard a lot of people say that this was one of his best movies, very deep, very intricate, complex movie, very, you know, um, you know, one of those movies, uh, again, like with a lot of Nolan's films where you have to watch it multiple times, you know, to, I mean, not that, not really to understand it, but like to understand it more in depth, you know, and, uh, you know, pick up on things that you may not have, caught the first time you watched it, you know, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it, it was really, it was really good, really great, um, but basically the film is about, if you don't know, uh, it's basically about this, uh, professional thief, uh, Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, who basically steals information from the subconsciousness of, you know, whoever's, uh, he's hired to steal them from, like his targets. He basically steals information from by infiltrating their minds, and goes into their minds, goes into their dreams, and steals information. Uh, he's offered a chance by uh, Sato, this uh, hi- this uh, uh, Japanese um, businessman. He employs Cobb and his team for this mission. He's basically he basically offers Cobb a chance at having his criminal history erased. Uh, if he can pull off a job, if, if him and his team can pull off a job for him. And what he basically wants is his, uh, he runs an energy company and there's another energy company that's like about as big as his. And it's about to be handed over to the CEO's son, who's also played by Killian Murphy, (laughs) uh, who does pretty good in this movie too. Uh, but he doesn't want that to happen. He's like, well, I want to be the dominant energy company you know, if, you know, I'm either going to win or neither of us are going to win. So if you can, uh, incept the, uh, idea in the CEO's son's head to dismantle his company. And so I can be the only energy company in the world or the major company, you know, then I will erase your criminal history and you can see your kids again. And, um, and that's the basic plot. And of course, you know, then he, you know, uh, brains that his team back together, um, and the, the six of them with, uh, along with Mr. Sato go into, uh, killing Murphy's character's uh, head to try to incept the idea in his head to dismantle his father's, uh, energy company, his energy empire. And, uh, and yeah, he, uh, and, and you know, it just gets even more in depth and more crazy there because they don't, they not only, they don't stop at his, uh, in his mind, they keep having to go further and further in. And it's funny because like earlier in the movie, uh, I believe it was Eames, uh, Tom Hardy's character, a member of the team and one of Cobb's friends. Uh, he says you can't go, f-, or or maybe it's Arthur, but w- one of his, one of the members of the team says, you can't go like, uh, past two dream levels in a dream. That's not possible. But then not only do they end up going three dream levels deep, like they not only end up incepting, uh, like going in three different people's minds, uh, but they go, go in four minds deep, like, like, they go into, uh, I think they go into, yeah, it's, like, Cobb's mind in the end, and, um, and I was, like, oh, shit, so they went even further than they thought was possible, but, uh, but, yeah, I loved the action in this movie, I loved, uh, I loved the rules and the, 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 not the lore, but, well, the, the kind of lore with Cobb and his wife and what happened with her, I thought was very tragic and sad, um, and, you know, it gave Cobb a lot of depth, you know, to his character, uh, the team were all great, like, they were all funny and interesting, and every time they were on screen, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're cool, like, I, I, getting to know more of you, you're a cool guy, you're a cool girl, you know, and, um, and, yeah, the, the, they all played their parts, uh, well, uh, the team was cool, and the cast was great, yeah, Kelly Murphy was great, Tom Hardy was great, uh, Elliot Page, for who at the time was Ellen Page, uh he did great, or she did great. He, who originally was she, she did great back then. But he I'll just say he, he did great uh in the role um as Adri was it Ariandi? I I I I messed up her name earlier. Ariadne. Ariadne, but she's a graduate student who Cobb kind of recruits. Uh, And Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays Arthur, Cobb's, like, main partner. And, uh, but yeah, they did great. Um, and, yeah, it was, uh, it was really good. And, yeah, I loved the, the, how in-depth they went with the concept. Like, the concept's cool, very cool for a science fiction movie. I loved how in-depth they went with the rules. Like, they, they explained the rules and, and, you know, the setup of this world of, like, you know, where you can, you can enter people's dreams they explained all that pretty well, and like the concept of tokens where it's like, oh if you have this uh you know and you know this little trinket you know it it lets you know that oh you're still in a dream, you know and stuff like that that was great and uh you know uh the c g i was still looks you know still holds up thirteen years later um for all the scenes where like the buildings are distorting and like moving and like up going upside down and you know it, it looks really cool so the action was great and the ending, it was a very satisfying ending, but it also, again, the last shot of the movie, the very ending leaves you thinking, is Cobb still in the dream world or did he get out? Cause his token, which is like this little top keeps spinning and it's like, well, it should stop at some point, but it's not stopping. It's still going. So is he still in the dream world? Did he get out? You know? And, um, uh, but yeah, that's left a lot of people, uh, talking about this movie for years. Uh, so I can see why. Cause it's like yeah, did he get out? Is he still in? But, but yeah, it, a uh, fantastic movie, uh, acting was great all around, and once again, not only was Killian Murphy in this, Michael Caine also had a one scene cameo in the movie, but he was pretty good, and, uh, and yeah, so, you know, uh, but yeah, overall, good all around. Um, uh, so now we're in the final three, so with that being said, let's move on to number three. At number 3, we have The Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight Rises is the third and final movie in the Dark Knight trilogy and it was released uh on July 20th, 2012. It uh had a budget between 250 and 3 million dollars or 230 million somewhere around there and it grossed uh 1. 81 billion dollars at the box office and it uh you know it's it's not only is it Christopher Nolan's highest grossing film it's uh it became at the time of its release the seventh highest grossing film of all time it was the third and it was the third highest grossing film of 2012 so uh you yeah, pretty good not bad uh and it's the second film in the Batman film series like of all the film all the Batman films to earn a billion dollars the first one being The Dark Knight which Obviously haven't gotten to yet, that's coming up on the list. Uh but yeah, so the Dark Knight Rises pretty much uh takes place eight years after the events of the Dark Knight. Um you know, uh you know, Bruce is kind of down at the dumps after what happened at the end of the Dark Knight with having to kill Harvey Dent. Spoilers, but you know, I'm gonna get more into the Dark Knight when I get to it on the list. But you know, with uh you know, and you know, Joker's been put away in, in Arkham you know, Harvey's dead, but, you know, him and, uh, Gordon, you know, made a pact and they lied about the fact that Batman was the one responsible for the deaths of the people that Harvey killed. And they, you know, cause they Gotham needed a white knight. So they're like, okay, well, we'll let the town, we'll let Gotham believe that Harvey was a good guy. So eight years later, they're still celebrating him. Bruce is still kind of down in the dumps. He hasn't donned the bat cape and he hasn't, he hasn't donned the suit, uh, in eight years, but, uh, Bane, uh, you know, a terrorist, a new villain, new threat to Gotham, basically kind of forces him out of retirement and he has to save Gotham from nuclear destruction. Uh, you know, probably its biggest threat. Yeah. It's definitely its biggest threat to Gotham yet in all three of the movies. Like this is, you know, Bane is the, I mean, maybe not the best villain, although he, I, I think he's pretty good, but like, he's the most like destructive villain so far. I mean, it's like, it's like okay. He's gonna blow up the entire city, you know. Like it's like it's got like a blast my. It's like a blast radius of like six eight miles. So yeah, the whole city's gonna die if we don't do something about this. But uh, and and he has to team up with uh, Selena Kyle, who's introduced in this movie as uh, uh, played by Anne Hathaway, uh, who also yeah, Selena Kyle is you know Catwoman, and um, you know he has to yeah team up with her. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who you know was from uh, who was in Inception, he comes. He's in this movie. He plays uh Blake, uh later revealed to be Robin at the end of the movie, which I thought was a cool reveal. Uh, and you know Lucius Fox, you know Morgan Freeman's character, uh comes back, helps him, and Commissioner uh, Gordon now Commissioner, uh helps him. So you know that they all have to team up and defeat Bane before he blows up the city and. I really—I I loved this movie, and the reason why it's so high up on the list is because uh, it's just—it's another really good superhero movie, and I just thought it was a very satisfying ending to this trilogy. Like, when I watched this for the first time back last March, uh, I thought, wow, this was, like, a perfect ending to this trilogy. Like, you couldn't have ended this on a more perfect note. Like, you know, Blake revealing that, you know, like, his birth name was Robin— uh, cause basically, you know, ba- uh, Bruce Batman sacrifices himself to save the city. Everyone thinks he's dead except, you know, Alfred and Lucius and Blake find out. And, and I think, uh, I believe, um, Gordon finds out too, but you know, like those closest to him find out, oh, he's not actually dead, you know, but, uh, Bruce leaving the bat cave to Robin for him to either become the next batman or the next nightwing or just stay as robin i thought it was cool um you know and then the fact that they kind of set up uh the end of the movie at the beginning where alfred tells bruce he's like you know i have a every now and then i have a dream of us uh randomly meeting up in florence and you know it's like we're at a restaurant we're sitting a couple of tables away and i spot you and you spot me and you're with a wife and kids and you look happy and you know and, and throughout this whole movie series, you know, Alfred's just kind of wanted what's best for Bruce and, you know, he just wants him to be happy. And, but now Bruce, you know, it ends with him finally put, you know, passing on the torch, the mantle of Batman or Nightwing or Gotham's newest superhero, Robin, you know, uh, passing on the torch of Gotham's new superhero vigilante to Blake, you know, a newer, younger guy who he kind of sees himself in, you know, an orphaned kid who is trying to do what's right by the people of Gotham. And, uh, and, you know, and it just ends, yeah, with, uh, it ends how Alfred, you know, it ends like how Alfred said it would end, you know, with, uh, the two of them meeting in Florence and Bruce and Selina, uh, are together, which I thought I was like, yes, because I, I love the two of them as a couple, uh, Batman and Catwoman. Um, and they have such an interesting dynamic where they're kind of, sometimes they're enemies, sometimes they're lovers and friends, you know, and partners. Uh, but I do love the fact that they got together because they built their relationship up really well throughout the movie. And Anne Hathaway uh, made a really good Catwoman, I thought. Um, And Tom Hardy, I think, did a really good job as Bane. I know a lot of people might make fun of his voice, and it is a funny voice, but I do think because of how calm and serious uh, Tom Hardy is uh, when he's portraying the character and when he's putting on the voice, I think it does still make it more terrifying. uh, Because, you know, he's like, do you feel in control? You know, citizens of Gotham, Batman is back. You know, like, and, and you know, that's great. And also not to mention uh, some really great action sequences in this movie too. Uh, particularly that fight, like one in particular, that fight between ba- Batman and Bane uh, in the Batcave uh, was great. And just the dialogue, because there's no music. It's just all you hear is the the water falling throughout the cave and the punches and blows and grunting of, of Batman, you know, trying, trying his best and failing to, to take down Bane. And, you know, Bane's saying, like, like, his dialogue was great where he's like, the theatricality and deception are powerful allies for the initi- uninitiated, but we are initiated. Aren't we, Bruce? You know, like I was like, oh, it's such a great line. And then the line right at like when he breaks his back and he says, he picks him up and he's like, I was wondering what would break first, your spirit or your back. And then he just like, like, throws it, throws him on his knee, like, breaks his back over his knee and drops him. I was like, ooh, like that, like, <laughs> I was like, shit, that looked like it hurt. Uh, but that was great. And uh, and just when all hope seemed lost, you know, it's like Batman comes back and sa- Bruce comes back and saves the city after Bane throws him in the pit. And it was just great. And the twist as to how they bring it back to Ra's al Ghul and the League of Shadows, and I won't exactly say how, but how Bane connects to that. Uh, like how he was kind of a member of the League of Shadows, and another character that we meet in the movie, who I won't reveal, but uh, how she connects to it too was great, and I thought it was a cool way to kind of bring the trilogy like full circle, you know. Um, But yeah, so uh, great performances all around, great action sequences, and it was just a really great movie overall, and it was a great ending to uh, a damn near perfect, not just superhero trilogy, but trilogy, uh, overall, but especially superhero trilogy. Um, so yeah. Uh, oh, and it, it was also cool to see the bat playing for the first time. That, that was awesome. I loved seeing that debut in this movie. Uh, I mean, in this series of movies that it was awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, with that being said, let's move on to number two. At number two, we have Interstellar. Uh, Interstellar was released on November 5th, 2014 and it did, it made a killing at the box office too. It had a budget of $165 million and it grossed $773.8 million. Uh, so it, it did one, it did fantastic at the box office. Uh, but it's a science fiction film, uh, an epic science fiction film and it, uh, basically stars, it's set in a dystopian future, uh, in, 2067, to be more specific, and, um, humanity is basically, you know, uh, there's a blight and famine, uh, that's, you know, destroying the, uh, you know, our food source and crops, you know, we're running out of food, so farmers are, like, very essential now, and this, uh, Matthew McConaughey plays this, um, former NASA pilot who, um, who, you know, he used to be a pilot, but, you know, he decided to become a farmer, even though he hates farming, because, you know, farmers became more essential, you know, and space travel wasn't really, you know, they, they, it wasn't really needed as much at the time, but, um, he, uh, you know, he finds his way to, uh, you know, whether it's on accident or whether it's fate or destiny, but, uh, he finds his way to, uh, this, um, the NASA base that's kind of secured, you know, secret NASA base. Uh, led by Dr. Brand, uh, a.k.a., uh, you know, played by Michael Kane, And uh, he basically tells him, he's like, look, we're going to send you, because you were one of our best, you know, pilots. We're going to send you, you're going to be the leader of this group of astronauts. We're going to send you, my daughter, Dr. Brand, uh, uh, Amber, I believe was her name. Uh, let me see. I mean, not Amber, uh, Amelia. Yeah, we're going to send you, my daughter, Amelia, and two other guys, uh, Romilly and uh, Doyle. And yeah, you know, we're gonna send the four of you up to uh, this wormhole near Saturn, uh, and you know we're you're gonna go through it, and we're gonna see if there are any habitable planets on the other side. You know, we've got two plans: the f- uh, plan B, plan A is to you know find this new habitable planet, and you know take everyone, you know basically cause a mass exodus, or, you know create a mass exodus, and send everyone. You know, to this new planet. You know, once we find out which one it is, you guys come back. We'll basically just import or export everyone off Earth, transport them all off Earth to this new planet. Plan B, if that fails, you know, you guys just go to the new planet and we have some fertilized eggs. You know, just create the new people. You know, just like fertil. You know, uh, let them grow and you know they'll 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 be the next generation. You know, you've got them in this little incubation chamber. they'll be the next generation, you know, if plan A fails. And, uh, and you know, the whole movie is just, yeah, them trying there, they basically have three planets, uh, from, there was this research team, this team of 12 people that went up there, uh, and three of them went to these three different planets. Um, we don't know if they made it yet or not, but we know that those are our three, those are their three best chances. And, uh, so they end up going to all three planets and, you know, trying to determine which of the three of them is habitable. The only problem is, is that time is of the essence. And, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character, Cooper, you know, told his daughter and his son yeah, and his dad, you know, he's like, uh, but especially his daughter, Murphy, uh, who he's a little closer with, but he basically told her and his son and father, he's like, Hey, look, I'm coming back. Okay. I'm doing this to save us, you know, not just humanity, but us too. Um, and I will be back. And, um... Yeah, it was just, uh, and how they played with time was really cool too, because, you know, uh, space travel, space is pretty, I don't know if you know this, but space is pretty far, (laughs) you know, it's like huge, uh, and it's ever expanding, which is crazy. But like uh, a simple mission to Mars can take like months, you know, going to the moon, I think takes a, maybe a month, I don't know, but Mars takes a few, a, a few good months at least to get to. And that's like the closest planet to us, you know, and it's like one of the most habitable, habitable planets in our solar system. That's not us or our moon, you know? And, uh, but yeah, it's, so the fact that they, it's like the first planet they go to, which is like basically just submerged in, it's just like covered in water, you know, foot, uh, like knee high, but it's like all water, nothing else. They go to an ice planet Uh, which is very beautiful. Like it's, you know, very gorgeous, gorgeous scenery at that, at that planet. And then the third planet is like this kind of deserty Mars type place. But the first planet, uh, when they get there, Amelia, you know, Brand tells Cooper, she's like, hey, look, uh, if we're down there for an hour, uh, seven years have passed on earth. So we better make this count. And, uh, (laughs) and, you know, basically we see, you know, it's like time is of the essence because the longer they're in space searching these p- three planets, the, the one, the more the people of earth age, you know, the, the more time passes for them on earth, but also the, uh, the more likely it is that they're going to die of dehydration and starve and, you know, have their lungs fill up with dust, you know, cause it's getting very dusty and with, with the blight and the famine and all that. And the, uh, and the crop fires and all that. So uh yeah, so you know, it's just it's kind of a dust bowl has been forming on Earth, you know. Uh and and yeah, so but the movie it was just really great. It was very emotional, very heartfelt. Uh I thought Matthew McConaughey killed it as Cooper. Uh Anne Hathaway does great as Amelia Brand, again from The Dark Knight Rises. She was in you know, she was Selena. I thought she did a great job. Uh Jessica Chastain plays uh Cooper's daughter Murphy, like 23 years later cuz uh you know we cut to later we cut to her on earth you know she's an oh, she's an adult now and she's working with uh Brand's uh father you know she's working with Amelia's father professor Brand on uh she's become a scientist at NASA and she's trying to figure out a way to kind of bring them home or you know see what they can do to solve the equation of uh the the gravity equation to uh basically you know bring everyone Uh, brain everyone home, you know, and uh, or brain everyone there, and yeah, so you know, I I thought she did a great job too. Um, um, and Matt Damon, I didn't expect him to pop up, but he's he has a uh, not not really a cameo, I guess a glorified cameo, but he's in the movie for a little bit. Uh, he does a great job, and there's an interesting twist with his character that I didn't see coming, but uh, I was like, wow, you asshole. Uh, there's a little bit of, there's a betrayal that kind of goes on, but I won't say what it is, but I'm like, oh, okay. piece of shit. Uh, but he, he did a great job for what little screen time he had. He, he, his part, he killed it. And Michael Caine, again, fantastic as Dr. Brand. Um, but yeah, the movie is just very heartfelt and emotional. It's gorgeous too. Like, uh, I mean the practical effects, you know, for like the robots, uh, on board their ship, you know, the endurance. Uh, they looked really cool. TARS, the robot with like the, uh, just the way he moved. Cause he was like this big block, but then like he can move and his legs become like spinning blocks whenever he moves. I was like, that looked really cool. But for the budget being 165 million, it looks really good. You know, like they, the practical effects and some of the CGI mixed in, you know, it looks gorgeous. Like every time they're out in space, all the, pl- the three different planets they go to are great, you know, breathtaking, gorgeous to look at. Uh, and And yeah, I just, uh, and and also I love the fact that every time they go to, like, and anytime we see them, like, interlocking the ship with the main, like, the smaller ship with the main ship, we don't hear noise. There's an explosion that happens on the station. Again, not going in too heavy into spoilers for, you know, that part of the movie, but there's an explosion, uh, uh, that happens on the main station and there's no noise. And I love that because, like, almost all science fiction movies, sci-fi movies, you hear the sound in space. And it's like, well, no, that's not how space works. Space is a vacuum. You can't hear sound in space. So, you know, technically we shouldn't hear this explosion and we don't. So I I do love that they, that, that was pretty accurate to what we know about space. It's like, oh yeah, well, if if there was an explosion or if there was, you know, someone shot you in, uh, or crashed your uh, rocket, if some, you know, in sci-fi movies, like in Star Wars, if someone shot your ship down, you wouldn't be able to hear the lasers shooting the ship down. You wouldn't be able to hear the ship blow up. It would just, you would just see it, you know? So I loved the accuracy of that. And it was a small detail, but it it was much appreciated. Uh, and yeah, just, and it's very, uh, well, yeah. Okay. I said, yeah, very emotional and heartfelt. I actually teared up and I was actually tearing up, uh, during the scene where, uh, because basically they keep sending these, uh, videos up to their space station or up up to their ship. And we get to see, uh, Cooper watching all of the, uh, tapes or all of the videos, uh, of his kids growing up. And we get to, and his daughter is kind of upset with him for having left. And she hasn't really made one in like at all, but you know, he gets to see her for the first time in years. And when he last saw her, she was like 10 or 12. And then she's like in her thirties now. And she's, like, why did you leave us, Dad? You know, like, she's kind of breaking down. She's mad. And and he's just, like, crying. And I was like, oh, man, it's, like, a very emotional, sad scene. You know, very, and, and you know, I, I thought Matthew McConaughey delivered a fantastic performance. All the actors did a f- great job with their performances. But, uh, and I loved the the kind of twist where the, the aliens that sent them um, on this mission turns out to be... Or, you know gave them the coordinates for the wormhole and all that it turned out to be a futuristic uh, a version of humanity from the future like uh, a race of humans from the future basically sent cooper and murphy on this mission to save humanity in the in the present day you know and i was like oh that's really cool and uh and like the the foreshadowing of i think there's a ghost in this room and and i won't say how that plays out but like murphy thinks there's a ghost in a room in the beginning and when you see what who the what the ghost actually is at the end of the, towards the end of the movie, you're like, oh shit, that's cool, but uh, that was a good twist. But anyway, yeah. So I went on a little bit longer with this film than I meant to, but it you know, uh, I'm not sorry. It's it's a great movie. That's why that's why I went on a little bit longer uh, with this one. But yeah, fantastic movie. Uh, can't recommend it enough. Uh, actually, I can't really recommend any of these enough, but especially this one because this it's so high up on the list. But uh, but yeah, with that being said. I've I've talked about this movie a little bit, you know, long enough. Uh, with that being said, let's move on to the number one pick. So, if you've been uh, checking off the movies so far on the list on the Christopher Nolan's filmography, you'll know what the number one pick's going to be. Or you'll know what the number one pick is. Uh, but, yeah, number one, obviously... Uh, because it's the only one left, <laughs> the, uh, the Dark Knight. Uh, so yeah, probably an obvious, you know, pick to go with, but honestly, watching it again, I'm like, yeah, so far, this, like, you know, when I got to this movie on the list and I watched it again, I'm like, yeah, this, I feel like this is, this is number one right now. And I feel like by the time I get through with all of his movies, this is still going to be at number one. And I was right, it's still at number one. Uh, it's just, it's a great, like, it's a near-perfect movie, uh, it's just a great superhero movie overall, but, you know, I mean, it, it did a great job with everything, but, like, you know, everyone thought that, uh, I mean, everyone loved it, like, it, it grossed, uh, it, it had a 185 million dollar budget, and it grossed a billion, just like The Dark Knight Rises too. uh, it grossed 1.006 billion dollars, and, uh, you know, everyone thought everyone was like worried that Heath Ledger wasn't going to do, uh, you know, wasn't going to make that great of a Joker. But they were proven wrong by this movie because he really puts his heart and soul and mind, checks his brain out of the door. You know, or no, well, not checks his brain out of the door, but like he, uh, in terms of like, he fully he fully embodies the character of the Joker. But he does a great job. But yeah, this is basically yeah the second movie the exciting middle part in the Dark Knight trilogy. And it uh, basically, you know, follows Bruce. He's been Batman, Batman, he's been Batman for a year. Uh, So it's him, uh, he teams up with Gordon, who's a lieutenant now uh, in the uh, Gotham City uh, Police Department, and the new district attorney, Harvey Dent, who basically team up to, you know, stop organized crime in uh, Gotham. Because, you know, with, with Batman's help... Uh, crime in Gotham has gone down, and Harvey has only uh, further helped the cause of, you know, dismantling crime. Um, But, you know, unfortunately, uh, their plans are screwed up because the Joker decides to, you know, cause some chaos, you know, because he just loves spreading chaos and showing everyone what a bunch of stupid apes they are, you know, just like throwing everyone into as much chaos as he can, he just loves reveling in it, you know, and he basically just, you know, he likes, he's trying to test how far Batman will go to save the city from, from his madness and mayhem, and, and destruction, you know, and, uh, and yeah, they basically just have to stop the Joker, and yeah, the movie is just a fantastic movie, Heath Ledger, it was his last performance, I'm pretty sure this was his last performance, I don't think he had anything else that he was, that he had already filmed that i don't think he had any other movies that he had filmed parts in but yeah i'm i think this was his last performance but what a way what a performance to go out on unfortunately he, you know he accidentally overdosed in his apartment tragically you know it would have been cool to see him in the dark knight rises because he just does a, such a fantastic job as this character um but you know it's it is what it is but at least if he had to go out at least he get, he went out giving us a hell of a performance as like one of the most iconic Batman villains and characters. Uh, And his performance is one of the most iconic in superhero movies and and movies of all time, but especially superhero movies. Uh, But yeah, you know, obviously Christian Bale, Michael Caine, they do a great job. Gary Oldman is uh, Commissioner, or Lieutenant Gordon, he's great. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal replaced Katie Holmes as uh, Rachel in this movie, but she does pretty good. Uh, And Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox, another great job. Uh, Aaron Eckhart, uh, along with Heath Ledger is a new addition to the the main cast. Uh he plays Harvey Dent and if you know anything about Harvey and his uh who he becomes in the comics and like you know any of the other Batman like shows, movies, you know, uh he becomes Two-Face. And we see his descent into madness and him beco- as he when he becomes Two-Face. Like we see Harvey slowly start to be corrupted by the chaos and crime and villain uh villainy of uh and the heinousness of the city we see him become corrupted by that and it and his corruption only deepens uh when he becomes two-face like when when he gets his face burned off uh in the explo in the explosion uh later in the movie and um you know it his performance is great too and i feel like and i said this in my ranking the batman movies episode but i feel like because Heath Ledger gave such a great performance i feel like a lot of people overlook Aaron Eckhart's performance as Harvey uh but you know and understandably so cuz you know of how great Heath Ledger did as the character of the Joker but Aaron is fantastic too as as Harvey and and just again like watching his descent into madness and like how he starts the movie and how he ends is like completely a, you know 180 character like a 180 degree uh it's a flipped script, you know, it fl- uh, it's, he starts off and he ends the movie completely differently than how he started, started off. And, you know, it's just great uh, and tragic watching his character go from a good upstanding moral white knight citizen that Gotham needed to clean up the city to, you know, one of the v- villains of the city, you know, becoming Two-Face. And that CGI, because, you know, a lot of the movie is practical effects, but that's CGI and I'm sure some of it was practical effects but most of it was CGI but the CGI on uh that they used to to for Harvey's half face like for his the burned side of his face that looks so well and I think it's because they didn't there wasn't it, the movie wasn't riddled with CGI so maybe you know they they obviously had a set amount a set amount for the budget to work on for the face or they obviously set enough money aside to work on the face and they didn't overuse CGI throughout the movie, so, you know, they spent more money and time on his face. But that that looks so great. Like, I was, you know, watching the movie the other day, and I'm like, this holds up even today, like 15 years later, and, you know, uh, three days from now, it will, yeah, the 15th anniversary of this movie is coming out, or will be in three days. But yeah, it's, uh, the, it, the CGI still holds up. Like with Sandman and Spider-Man 3, which was 16 years ago, that, uh... You know this holds up even today and rivals some CGI we have in movies today, uh, and I think it's because they didn't rush the the visual effects artists working on it. Like they, uh, you can see the time and money that went into his face. It looks as realistic as it can, and it looks really realistic. It looks great, but uh, but yeah, it's, you know the movie it's paced well. It's paced fantastically for it being two and a half hours. You don't feel the runtime at all. The action pieces are great. Uh we get introduced to the Bat Cycle. We get to see or I think it's called the Bat Cycle, but we get the Bat Cycle, uh, which is part of the Batmobile, but we didn't see it in Batman Begins. We get to see it in here, the introduction of it in this movie. I thought that was cool. Uh and there's a cool set piece where Batman's chasing Joker through the city on the Batmobile, and then he has to disengage the Bat Cycle from the Batmobile and he starts chasing him on that. And then the Gatlin machine guns pop out on the side and he's shooting at him. The Fantastic scene You know The chase scene In downtown Gotham But yeah Action was great uh, And the ending Was great too And it uh, The way it ends It makes you Immediately want to Start the next movie Just because that Huge cliffhanger It ends on um, And it's uh, And yeah It's very much An exciting middle part To this trilogy It just You know It's And it's just A great superhero movie Overall It's very quotable So many memes And quotes came from This movie that are still used today, like Harvey's classic line of you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain, you know, that can't, you know, that, that that's that been used, uh, you know, that, that's been quoted and memed, uh, so many times, you know, um, why so serious, you know, and, and a bunch of other scenes and lines from the movie like that, but those are just like two of the many examples from this movie, but yeah, so that's why this is my favorite of his movies. And it's one of my favorite, not just, it's not just one of my favorite, it's not just my favorite Nolan movie, but it's one of my favorite movies overall, and one of my favorite superhero movies. Uh, Yeah, I love this movie, you know, a lot, I like a lot, you know, to quote (laughs) uh, Harry, uh, Jim, uh, from Dumb and Dumber, I like a lot, you know, and, uh, (laughs) but yeah, fantastic movie, can't get enough of it. Uh, so yeah, so if, if you, again, to reiterate what I said at the beginning of this episode, if you, if none of you have seen any of these movies, uh, if you guys haven't seen any of these movies, uh, go watch them because they're all great, good and great in their own ways. And obviously you're going to have your own ranking list, like where you'd rank all 11 of these. So, you know, don't take my opinion as fact, you know, like this is just how I would rank all 11 of them. So but uh but I, I feel like to me there's not a weak link in the bunch and i feel like you might all think that too but then again i don't know i'm i'm not you guys you might think that the dark knight sucks although i highly doubt that but you know you might think that sucks and like uh mementos the best of his movies or you might think following should be you know might it might be in the middle of the list or you know you whatever the case may be you know you'll have your own list of how you'd how of how you'd rank them? You know which ones your least favorite and favorite. Where what would be in the middle? But uh, but you know uh, if you haven't seen any of them, go watch them all because to to me they're all great and g- good and great in their own ways. Um, so yeah, uh, so yeah. This is a little bit episode was a little bit longer than I meant for it to be, but I think it's shorter than my longest episode this season, which was my Owl House review. Which if any of you have listened to that, that was an hour and forty eight minutes. So <laughs> I think it's a little shorter than that. Um, but yeah, so, I guess that does it for tonight's episode. Uh, again, sorry for this being delayed by a day, but, you know, thanks for being patient and waiting for it. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's episode. Uh, join me next week for my review. I'm gonna do a double review Friday night for Oppenheimer and Barbie. I'm gonna go see both of those Friday back-to-back. And then Saturday, I'm hoping to upload my review of Greta Van Fleet's new album, Starcatcher. Uh, so... But I'll definitely have the Oppenheimer and Barbie review up Friday. I may do the Greta Van Fleet review Saturday, but if not, expect at least the Oppenheimer and Barbie episode. Uh, so yeah, but that will be next week. So yeah, hope you guys enjoyed tonight's episode. Uh hope you have a great weekend. And uh, with that being said, take care.